Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. The tax efficiency of real estate is one of the most misunderstood or aspects of real estate that people aren't taking advantage of that through it coupled with the return potential it's just a phenomenal asset class especially from a risk reward analysis welcome to the best ever show the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Jason Harris. Jason is joining us from Orem, Utah. He is the founder of Harris Investment Group, which focuses on multifamily and specifically adding value to its tenant base. Jason is a GP on 2,000 units, totaling $300 million of assets under management. He was also a previous guest on episode 1,579. If you Google Jason Harris and Joe Fairless, those episodes will pop up. Jason, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? So glad to be here. Very good. Thank you. We're glad to have you back. Before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background? and what you're focused on now. Yeah, thanks so much. I started in financial services for seven years, growing a portfolio with Edward Jones. 
during that time was growing my own real estate portfolio. Back in 2010, I bought my first fourplex. And from there, I just wanted to build my own financial freedom. And I felt like real estate was the best way to do that. However, I didn't have very much money. So my whole thought was I'll be a financial advisor by day, real estate investor by night. And happened to, in 2013, meet a very affluent family in financial services that had thousands of doors personally as a real estate investor and learned some things that he was doing from a tax shelter strategy through real estate to pay zero in taxes through bonus depreciation. And that changed my life and understanding what I could do within my own real estate and helped me eventually quit my financial services career and do real estate full time where we've been doing JV syndication and now a fund model structure and helped us exponentially grow our own personal wealth, but help investors and the majority of our credit investors do the same. So that was four years ago that you interviewed with Joe Fairless and you had a handful of duplexes and quads to your name. And now you've got $300 million of assets under management. How did you scale in four years? Well, the market certainly helped with that, I'd say. The appreciation's been really strong. But a lot of it too is once you establish yourself as someone that's a mover and shaker, that's doing well and having success, that track record starts to be what other capital will look at. So with that reputation and respect maybe that I have for outside of just real estate alone, I was able to start growing my portfolio with other capital. So we actually should be at 400 million before the end of the year, hoping that I could follow suit with what Joe's done of hitting a billion dollars before 40. I think that's possible for us. But a large number of it was just looking at the best way to drive IRR and return. And once you start seeing a strong enough equity over value of what you own, we saw opportunities to sell those assets, capture the equity and roll up into something bigger using 1031 exchanges to keep the tax efficiency. So it was through that and then partnering with other capital, we were able to really scale and grow to the number of units that we're at now. All right. On a macro level, that sounds great. Now let's dive into the weeds and find out how you did it. Awesome. So what was the first large complex that you bought? What would you say is large? Uh, actually... Take us through the evolution. How about the first deal you raised money on? Oh, Okay. That would have been a 56 unit in Salt Lake City. I took a million dollars in from outside capital and put in 500,000 myself. And we purchased it for 7.5 million, roughly negotiated a seller credit on that deal and sold it last year for 11.6 million. I think we had a 2.6 X equity multiple in the two year time frame that we held that. I had done much smaller properties, a bunch of eight and 12 unit type properties at that point with JV structures, but that one was a bigger one that really got me excited about everything that I'm learning in this small 20 units or smaller, you can do at a much bigger scale. It's just the returns are a lot better. So that really excited me to start doing 100 to 300 unit type properties that we are at today. Why did you sell that property in two years? Again, it comes back to new opportunities that had stronger growth potential. I'm still focused on growth as the primary objective. And we had about almost $5 million worth of equity before closing costs in the property. 
if you take that five million and roll it up now into a fifteen or twenty million dollar type portfolio that has more upside opportunity through the value add process, we saw that we'd be able to increase our return potential than continuing to own that property, even though it still had some meat on the bone by selling it early before full stabilization. So it was more just about the numbers speaking to us doing better by rolling up into three new assets, which is what we did. So you added about 80% of the value, let's say, and left the remaining 20% on the table, moved on to the next deal. What do you say to those buy and hold investors that are struggling with teetering on, I'm just going to buy and hold forever versus why not take the money and extrapolate it into the next deal? Great question. Being a previous financial planner, I love breaking down the numbers. I actually used to do consulting on the real estate side as well, where we actually did a portfolio analysis spreadsheet to look at what your true returns are from a principal reduction, cash flow, and appreciation. There's also a tax savings component that we would look at. But what you'll find is more times than not, your return on equity percentage is drastically lower by keeping a property that has significant equity, typically 40% equity to value or higher. There's justification more times than not to take that equity and redeploy it in assets that have more opportunity with new leverage. And it really just comes back to the numbers. I can cash flow more by owning more property and controlling it. Even if my cash on cash return number is smaller as far as a percentage than holding on to the asset. And with the value add process, you have the ability to push rents or gross revenue quite a bit more typically than a stable property. And so I can increase my cash flow while also achieving greater returns because of the appreciation and the ability to own and control more assets than a smaller number. And so the numbers don't lie. If you can explain it from a breakdown of what they're making. Thank you for that. What I really wanted to say is how do I convince some of my stubborn friends (laughs) that the buy and hold strategy is not the right way to go? You should publish a white paper with some examples on that. I think that would go viral. Because again, it's a mindset thing, right? People think that through principal pay down and just staying the course, they'll make a ton of money, but they don't put the numbers to paper and look at the alternatives. So if you do that, we would publish it on our website, on our blog. I think that would be incredible. I'll circle back with you on that. I think that that'd be possible. And I could throw it in their faces next time we have that argument. One more thing to that. Yeah. For any of these people who it seems like has a significant interest in real estate, they're active in real estate. If they're claiming or willing to look into claiming the real estate professional status where depreciation loss can go from a passive loss to an active loss, and you couple that component of the tax savings benefit along with the return potential of the buy and hold strategy versus rolling up into something bigger, it's a night and day difference of why you should sell it and roll into something more to capitalize on the tax savings component in addition to the return. So I'd love to actually break something down with you and share that. That's been a big part of our success. Awesome. I love it. What locations do you focus on? We're in five core markets. Utah obviously is home base. So that's where I got my start. 
Salt Lake City area, although we're in some other tertiary markets here in Utah. Beyond that, we're in Kansas City, both Missouri and Kansas side. Dallas, which I was telling you I just got back from. And then Louisville, Kentucky are our primary targets that we have a pretty strong hold there. How did you pick Kansas City, Louisville, and Dallas? A big part of it is strong economy, job growth, low unemployment, low crime, net migration trends, and then just the price per door. Some of it was, I'm from Texas originally, so Dallas made sense. I know the market there. Kansas City, I have family, and so we traveled there frequently. And in the beginning, when I was getting my start, wanted to go out of state for the first time. Having local people on the ground that knew the neighborhoods, there's different trends that you'll see where school districts actually play a big part in where people decide to move and live. And I just wanted to know some of those things before jumping all in into a new market. So that helped. But then as you get more savvy and you use CoStar and some of the other data from broker relationships, it allows you to navigate to where you think are the best places within a community to be able to continue to build. Jason, right now, interest rates are going up. Cap rates are still pretty compressed with multifamily. How do you find good deals today? Most of what we're doing because we're IRR driven is still on bridge loan debt. Ironically, we've looked at a lot of permanent debt structures. The agency, Fannie and Freddie, is something that we like, but our return through analysis is still much stronger, utilizing higher leverage. So we've been more conservative on our underwriting of what the expectation of what cap rates will be in the next two to three years when we look to exit through either a sale or a cash out refinance. But as you know, in the value add space, Right now, due to inflation, we're seeing much higher rent rate growth than what was expected. So most of the deals that we're working on, we underwrote to a more conservative post-renovation rent rate number that we're already exceeding that number, which puts us in a more comfortable position to achieve a higher net operating income than what we were expecting so that we have some give as far as what we're going to need to do when it comes to selling the property. But yeah, bridge debt still is what we're doing the majority of our new property and acquisitions with. Are your exit caps 100 basis points, 200 basis points higher than your entry? 100 bips is what we're doing. And every year that we hold it, it's a 10 bips higher. Obviously, there's a lot of variables into that to know what really is going to happen. But that, among other things that we've built into our underwriting, is what we're using to kind of guide conservatively to make sure that we're not in a tough spot. And I think the best thing that you can do to prepare is either one, have fixed rate debt that you have extensions built in on the debt, or two, know that you're buying right and well enough now to have enough upside and net operating income that can be achieved to absorb some of the higher debt or interest expense that you may have to take on later. So I'm a non-residential commercial investor. All of my debt is through portfolio loans with lenders. Can you explain to me how bridge debt works and how extensions work and what today's rates are? A lot of the current debt that we've been taking on recently, we've had anywhere between 6.5% to 7.65% interest, interest only. Most of it we've been able to get fixed to avoid interest rate caps which have been very common this year as lenders have become more and more conservative with the 
Fed's guidance on higher rates, especially on the daily rate or the 10-year treasury, depending on what type of debt you're getting. And so to avoid those upfront fees and expenses and to try to have more of a determined interest rate, we've tried to do more of ours fixed that aren't subject to the prime market, which we've had anywhere from 350 to 500 bips above prime. So those are the type of debts and those are the interest rates. Most of the time, you can have a one-year extension up to three more years after your two or three-year locked period to give yourself some more room if you need to hold it for a longer period of time than expected. There's usually an extension fee of 1% to do something like that on the balance of what you carry at that point. But we like that, Ash, and the reason why we prefer it is because they actually will provide the majority of the renovation budget. And most of the properties that we're doing have some pretty significant lift that we're needing, $10,000 per unit or higher even sometimes. And so because of that aspect of not having to come in with our own capital, we'd prefer to take debt at 6.5 to 7.65, knowing what that money could do for us in additional value income. So most of our guidance is a 25% IRR or higher over a three-year period or longer. And if we can't meet that number in this underwriting, we're passing. And we're at a size where we can look and analyze enough deals and pass on it because we're not placing billions of dollars of capital. So we can hold out for those better opportunities. It's getting harder to find, but due to the market and the current conditions, you're finding more motivated sellers in distressed situations or predicaments that's allowed us to be able to hit that higher benchmark. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliant's experienced team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. Jason, on those extensions, do they keep the rates where they are for your initial bridge debt? Fortunately, yes. The ones that we've worked with have, yeah. Got it. Okay. And then buying rate caps, how does that work? Well, geez, I don't know all the science behind it. My CIO helps with those aspects of things. But from what I understand is to protect the lender from the risk of default or from interest rates going up that they could capture a higher return, you have to pay something up front to lock in the interest rate now so that you're not subject to a variable rate over the term of the duration of the loan. So those have become pretty significant. I've seen some as high as 3 or 5% of the debt amount that you're borrowing. And I've heard of higher, but we ourselves have seen some at 3 to 5. And that's just a significant amount up front. That's not a return driver that hurts IRR when you have to bring that up to the front. So we've wanted to avoid those if we can. 
a lot of times the properties we're buying don't support leverage on an agency type structure of 60% or more. So when you can borrow money at 75% plus the renovation budget or self-fund those renovations and borrow at 55% leverage, maybe 60 at best, you run the numbers side by side and the bridge debt still looks quite a bit more attractive. So we're willing to take on that a little bit additional risk, knowing that we've got fixed rate debt plus additional extensions for the significantly higher leverage that we can bring to the table to achieve better return. Thank you for clearing all of that up. That helps a lot. So you have a CIO. Who else is on your team? We're a 10-man team now. I think when I met with Joe four years ago, it's just one-man band here. And so we've been able to hire some C-level position employees that have been fantastic. We've got an admin help and people who oversee the loans and the asset management post-acquisition. So we do a lot of due diligence now of on-site to the properties. Everything that we do in way of property management, leasing, or project management through the construction phase is third party. It used to be something we did in-house, which I think has helped us see what's worked and what hasn't worked ourselves when we're trying to hire third parties. But again, when you get to a certain size, which we've finally achieved, we're able to work with professional companies that have 10,000 plus units under management. So they're really an asset manager that's on your side that we can present our property plan or reposition plan to of what we need to do over the two or three year period in order to achieve the returns that we expect from our own capital and from the capital of our investors and keep them on track. And so, yeah, it's a team game now. And did you preemptively scale or did you have the pain points and then hire? Both. I think sometimes it's like we really are hurting in a certain area and need to address that. And then we find who we think could be a key person to fix some of those issues and improve our processes. But sometimes it's like we just know when you're in the beginning years, you're running the show on all fronts. And that's a really difficult space to be. You like it because you understand it well and you know what's going on, but you get to a point where you just can't give it the time that it needs. And so I, I think it's been a mixture of both. The CIO role has been a very meaningful person who's hired, has taken on the acquisitions and the broker relationships, as well as post-close, making sure that our property management teams know how to execute thereafter. But yeah, we have head of investor relations that's helping on the relationship size, some admin help and lender processing. So it's been great. I'm happy about the way that the team's taking their roles and responsibilities on. What's your current bottleneck? It's always a mixture of too much capital or too much deals. And right now, I think right, we're seeing as we're approaching year end and trying to find opportunities, it's more capital, I think, at the moment, more because people get skittish and nervous when you enter bear market territory. Most asset classes, as you know, are 20% from all-time highs. So it becomes a little bit more scary to put that money to work. And yet we're looking at it and saying these could be some really great times when we finally have more of a balance. It's been a seller's market for so long that buyers have really had to appease what the sellers want. And there's not been a whole lot of negotiation that's been able to be had. But we're now seeing a lot more balance in finding some 
off-market opportunities, but the capital's been harder to come up. And so I'd say right now it's the capital, but it whipsaws. Yeah. What's the toughest lesson you've learned in your investing career? Oh, geez. The toughest lesson. The most painful. How about that? Most painful. I actually think it's probably being able to delegate and trust other people sooner. I held on too long trying to oversee and operate and not being able to trust and delegate it out soon enough. If you can do a good job of hiring out your personnel right, that's not just your full-time staff and W-2, but also your 1099 companies and contractors that you're working out. You can scale and focus your time on the key activities of highest and best use where your value is. I was taking on too much where I should have been delegating sooner on some areas that don't have as high a value of my time. And I wish that I would have been able to catch that vision sooner and been able to trust other people who actually do their job better than I was doing it with the time I could give it. But I think it was really hard for me to know that I was hiring the right people and being able to delegate that. And I wish I would have done it sooner. Yeah, I think it's a struggle that a lot of people endure. So you're not alone in that. In terms of returns to investors, what are you offering today? Right now, we have two different fund structures with a syndication component because our fund is limited to a certain allocation per property. The deal in Louisville I was mentioning, it's a $24 million property acquisition. It's about an $8.5 million equity amount needed, but we don't want the fund to have any more than $3 million as a part of any one property because we're trying to stay diversified with smaller allocations to get the benefits of diversification. So we'll take on outside capital beyond what the fund will do. So the majority of that fund, fund two, we call it, is multifamily exposure value add with a two to three year expectation of time frame, but up to five years. We underwrite to a 25% IRR with an 8% preferred return. Track record speaks to everything we closed in 2021. We achieved a 42% IRR or higher, but we're typically, like we were discussing earlier, having a shorter hold period because once you achieve stabilization or something close to it, you'll notice that IRR typically drops quite quickly thereafter because once you've mostly stabilized the property, what can you do thereafter to continue adding value? There's just not a whole lot more. So we start really seeing those returns drop, even though your overall cash flow on initial investments higher, which is what some of your investors and relationships are looking at, your overall return or ROE has drastically dropped. So we're looking to then pivot if we can by either selling the property to lock in those returns and distribute back to investors or take those profits and carry them forward into new opportunities, usually trying to do something that's tax efficient. Spend 20% of your time making 80% of your returns versus the opposite. I agree. Love it. Yeah. Jason, if you were to lose everything today, all of your net worth, how would you start over and what would you do? 
There was a time, I think, during the pandemic that there was some concern early on about what was going to happen, where that came to my mind several times. It's a comforting feeling knowing what I know now and having the relationships that I have now that I could probably scale something quite a lot faster now than what I did the first go around. But I think that you'd have to assess what the economy and the markets look like. But knowing what I know, I would do what I'm already doing, which is raising capital for value-add multifamily. I started out with nothing. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. My dad made $35,000 a year and was laid off twice during my childhood. So I saw my family struggle. I invested in financial books and intelligence and trying to create my knowledge of understanding what other people who've been successful have done. And through my experience, I've lived on a lot less than what I've made and put that money to work in what my best investments have been is in value-add multifamily. And so I would go right back at what I know and understand. I'm assuming if I wiped out and lost everything, there's something I messed up on or external factors that hurt a lot of people that maybe we couldn't have controlled. But hopefully I've learned some good lessons from it that can allow me to be a smarter and better investor this next go. But you can make such great money for others and for yourself If you do this business right, I'm coming right back at what I know well and doing it again. Got it. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Invest in yourself and invest in the knowledge of what you can within real estate because applied knowledge has changed so many people's lives to make many people financially free and to be able to live the lives that they hope to live and give the way they'd like to give because it gives you time back. I think the tax efficiency of real estate is one of the most misunderstood or aspects of real estate that people aren't taking advantage of. That it, coupled with the return potential, it's just a phenomenal asset class, especially from a risk reward analysis. Invest in that knowledge, invest in people who know what they're doing and learn from them, be your mentor, because it's a phenomenal asset type. And it's a problem that we're solving in America where affordable housing is a major crisis. Feel good about what you do and what you give your time, but be able to make some good money while you do it. Jason, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. What is the best ever book you recently read? Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wilwright. He came out with a new edition and with the phase out about to happen, I'm wanting to really understand it. Love that book. Explain that because the phase out is happening and that's a nice thing that they're taking away. So what are you going to do to prepare for that? Well, we're trying to lock in as many of those losses as we can, those phantom losses, because we know you don't lose them if you don't use them. So lock them in while you're getting 100% benefit now so you can carry them forward to your future. It's a big part of what we try to do within our investments. That's one aspect is trying to lock those in. But two, looking at how that tax planning strategy can play itself out over the upcoming years as that phase out starts to go away. And then know that there's other assets and opportunities, but make sure that you understand the underlying investment because real estate, you remove the tax benefits. It's still a phenomenal asset to own without the tax benefits. What is the best ever way you like to give back? My wife and I, three years ago, started a nonprofit called the Kenwell Foundation. And it's been awesome where we've every year given away scholarships to aspiring kids in high school who 
are unfortunately not in a position to go to college without some help. So that's one thing we've done. We also give to A Child's Hope to 11 orphanages in Mexico and growing that expansion to help. And we're actually doing a team trip. All of our families are going down in October to give to an orphanage, to serve, to build. So it's exciting because we help wealthy people get wealthier is what we look at it. But we're hoping those wealthy people will take a little bit of what they're doing and be willing to give back to some good causes to help those who really need it. So my wife leads that passion and she's awesome. And it's been fun working with her on it. And Jason, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can reach out to us through an email, contact at harrisinvestmentgroup.com or head of investor relations, Jesse Yates, for sales 801-404-2653. He can also set up a call. Jason, thank you for coming back on the show and sharing how you've scaled to almost $400 million in assets under management, some of the hardships that you went through, some of the lessons learned. So thank you for your time. Really appreciate the time too. Thanks so much for having me. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.